I'm calling tonight's talk Dynamics of Inner Pain. And in this talk, I'll be talking primarily about emotional pain. Um, I, much, Some of what I say will not be relevant to physical pain, although some of it may be, especially when sometimes physical pain is exacerbated by emotional pain, um, perhaps to a greater extent than Western medicine uh, sometimes acknowledges. Um, but the, the primary focus is emotional pain. And I'll begin by just giving what I will call a kind of a simplistic diagram of the human psyche or the human soul. Um, the top layer is the strategic mind, the thinking mind, the verbal layer. Um, below that are the emotions, the emotional layer. Below that are is the layer where where core pain is held, and this is where the layer of primary attachments. And then below that is what I'll call the ground of love, which is which is the root of our being. And framing it this way, there are a few things that are interesting. First of all, um, each layer going going further and further down is more and more powerful. So the, the, the least powerful part of us in some way is our strategic mind, is our verbal mind. Um, it's the most shallow part of our being, you might say. Emotions are more powerful than our thoughts. Um, core pain is very powerful, and and by far the ground of love is is the most powerful part of us. Um, but paradoxically, first first of all, a lot of people in our culture live in their heads. Uh, a lot of people have just been wounded in their vulnerability, sometimes wounded even in their emotionality, and retreat into the head, which is which is a very controllable kind of place. Um, and so it's an intensely head-driven, verbal-driven culture that we live in. Um, a very loud culture. Um, really, you know, certainly all of us have to deal with lots of information in our professional lives, but even in our personal lives, some people just choose just to just have streams of information, streams of entertainment coming at them every waking moment of their life. Um, you know, it, we're, we're choosing something exceptional here by choosing to come to a place and, and have 40 minutes of silence, you know. Um, and so we live in a very loud culture. And the paradox is that, of course, the head can be very loud with its chatter, Emotions are funny. Some emotions are very subtle, but, but especially if we ignore our emotions for a while, then they get loud. Um, pain is the loudest signal in our body, but the ground of love is silent. And so this leads to an odd situation in a very loud world. People know, all, people know they have emotions. People know that they have pain because those are loud. But the ground of love is often ignored because it's silent. It's something ignored in a loud world. Um, and in fact, it leads many people, I think, to the, the very unfortunate conclusion 
that the deepest part of them is their pain. And I think in some ways there are whole schools of philosophy built on the fact that, you know, the deepest part of us is our pain, that sort of thing. I'll say also it's kind of a feature of the of the head-centered, verbal-centered world that there's an unfortunate tendency toward what I'll call fundamentalism. And, um, and of course, when we hear that word, we think of religious fundamentalism, and that, that's, that's one species of it. But there's so many kinds of fundamentalism, so many kinds of um, the head or the strategic mind taking things literally, hanging on to the literal meaning. You know, the, the man comes home and says to the woman, how was your day? And she says, fine. And he, he says, oh, well, she says it's fine. Must have been fine. You know, like that kind of thing. Um, and so, among other things, I'll say that part of what is sad about modern society is a lot of people in living entirely in their heads they're they're not in touch with the 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 juice the richness of their emotional lives um they're having a very superficial um experience of life um an experience of you know might say bouncing off the surface without really tasting the depth so now the question is how do the levels communicate with each other um, when we don't listen to our emotions, of course, emotions will, they'll build up and then they'll, you know, explode, you know, or, or they'll become manifest as primarily as moods, you know, this sort of thing. Um, a, a great deal of emotional intelligence is simply just being able to drop into the body and feel the emotions and just feel all the subtleties, not only the loud emotions, but also the, the, the sometimes evanescent emotions, which are, are also quite significant. Um, now, pain has, has a peculiar way of communicating with the conscious mind. In a way, pain tries to communicate to the mind in its own language. It sends up verbal messages. And these are messages, sometimes they're called messages of the inner critic. These are messages of pain. And they often have the quality of, of insults. You know, it's often something along the lines of, you're worthless, you, you know, you contribute nothing of value. You know, nobody likes you, you're ugly, you're dumb, you're, you know. All these kinds of inner criticisms. Um, and the sad thing about the modern world is that the head takes these messages literally. The head is, is as it were, bamboozled by them. Because, of course, these motions, they're coming from deeper within. So they're presenting as having a certain amount of power. Um, and the head just fundamentally believes them and then people can deduce themselves into all kinds of misery you know well if i'm if nobody likes me then blah 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 you know it's how can i say the funny thing about the head is we can't think ourselves into abiding happiness but it's ridiculously easy 
to think ourselves into sheer misery, you know. Um, and I think a lot of depression and a lot of anxiety comes from people sort of dogmatically believing the messages of pain and then making flawlessly logical deductions based on them, you know. But there's this kind of almost certainty of, well, I know that this has to be true kind of thing. Um, And what's actually going on there, I would say, strangely enough, is that all those dysfunctional messages from the core pain are, in a way, bids for connection. Um, and so first, first thing I would say is that and it's, a, it's a very subtle distinction. All the messages of, the, of pain themselves, the cognitive content, is completely false. You know, it, uh, Christianity has this, uh, this image they call Satan the father of lies. And in many ways, pain is the father of lies. I often like to say that, that internal pain, it's like advertising. It's a lot like advertising. It has a message that is loud, that is frequently repeated, and that has little to no truth content. You know, but but surely by blitzing the mind, the mind gets hypnotized with this message, you know. What's real about the pain is that it's pain, is that it hurts. But the message, but the verbal message is not true. Um, And I think a way to think about this and to think about how it constitutes a bid for connection is to think about a two-year-old in temper tantrum. A two-year-old in temper tantrum will say the most horrible things to their parents. You know, I hate mommy and daddy. I want mommy and daddy to go away and never come back. You know, all kinds of things like this. It's just standard for, you know, two-year-olds in temper tantrums to say things like this. Now, the dysfunctional parent, again, would would believe him in a fundamentalist way. They would believe those things literally and then would be either verbally abusive or physically abusive to the child, which is, which is absolutely horrifying. The wise parent, here's the child saying this, the wise, ch- the wise parent more or less completely discounts any of the verbal message and attends to the child's real needs. The, the wise parent just sees through all the verbal barrage and and knows the kid is hungry or the kid is tired and very gently nudges the kid toward a situation where they can get their real needs satisfied. But I think it's interesting to think about, from the child's perspective, what's going on. You know, and I think infantile logic works something along the line, these lines. The child thinks, I'm distressed. I don't know how to get out of distress. Maybe if I distress mommy and daddy, then if they're distressed also, they'll know how to fix it and they'll fix my distress, you know? And so it's, you know, it's dysfunctional, but it's totally age appropriate for a two-year-old. The sad thing is there are adults who go through the world and their, their primary mode of connection is First, let me distress you and cause cause angst, and then you know 
we'll start our connection from that point. Um, and so in, in many ways, we have to be that wise parent to our internal pain. We have to be the wise parent who can see through the lie of the verbal message, who can discount what the verbal message is saying and attend to our real need. Um, Properly understood, every inner critic, every voice of pain is a wounded child within us crying out for love. And I often say that the healing process, it's a process in which we have to love the places that feel unlovable, accept the places that feel unacceptable, and forgive the places that feel unforgivable. And so in all of this, I'll say that... um, you know, as might be apparent at this point, Buddhism just has a tremendous amount (laughs) to offer us in the way of healing, you know. I mean, first simply interrupting the verbal mind, you know, and for some people, just tasting that first, that first little bit of silence, um, it's a break from the mind creating its own misery, you know. And the more we can interrupt that, and the more we, you know, get in the habit of just questioning our own thoughts, the easier it is to see through the verbal messages from pain as well. Um, The spiritual practices over time help us to have good boundaries, where we can set good boundaries not only with external others, but also good boundaries within, you know, saying, okay, I'm not going to accept those verbal messages, I'll give love to the place where it's coming from, but I'm not going to take on the verbal message at all. Um, and an extended work with silence allows us to start contacting the ground of love within us. And, and I would say also, I mean, first of all, every part of our psyche is oriented toward healing in some way, you know, and to some extent, it's simply a matter of just getting out of ego, getting out of the way so that we can heal, so that the the forces of healing can take over. Um, and also, in some sense, we're always surrounded by healing energy, the universal healing energy. You know, the, the Japanese term for this is Reiki, the, the universal chi, the universal healing energy. Um, And it's often the chatter of our mind, the fullness of our mind, that's blocking out that grace from entering our system. And the more we create silence, the more we create, as it were, the invitation for this grace to move through us. So at this point, I'll share the quote sheet. First, I'll share it with the the Zoomies.
So the lead quote is by Aeschylus, the, the Roman playwright. And it's this wonderful quote. Even in our sleep, pain which cannot forget falls drop by drop on the heart until in our own despair against our will comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. And that quote is, is famous in a way. Um, it was quoted by Robert Kennedy in an incredibly powerful speech he gave on the night of Dr. King's assassination. It really is a, a, a remarkable, uh, remarkable moment in human history. And of course, uh, Robert Kennedy himself would only be alive a couple months more. From Kalidasa, please subdue the anguish of your soul. No one is destined only to be only to happiness or to pain. The wheel of life takes me up and down by turn. This wonderful one from Rumi, the cure for pain is pain. Rilke says, I learn every day of my life. I learn it with pain I'm grateful for. Patience is everything. And the healing process is a very long, slow process. It is a process that requires tremendous patience. Sarinis Gardata says, It is always the false that makes you suffer. The false desires and fears, the force the false values and ideas, the false relationships between people. Abandon the false and you are free of pain. Truth makes happy. Truth liberates. Joseph Campbell says, Suddenly you're ripped into being alive, and life is painful, and life is suffering, and life is horror, but by God you're alive, and it's spectacular. Anais Nin said, And the day came when the risk it took to remain tight inside the bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. Rollo May said, One does not become fully human painlessly. Thomas Merton said, We have to be able to relax the psychic and spiritual cramp which knots us in the painful, vulnerable, helpless I that is all we know as ourself. Dr. Lawrence Peters says, in spite of warnings, nothing much happens until the status quo becomes more painful than change. This R.D. Leon quote we had a, a couple weeks ago, There's a great deal of pain in life, and perhaps the only pain that can be avoided is the pain that comes from trying to avoid pain. Ramdas says, the art of life is to stay awake and vulnerable, yet at the same time to sit with the mystery and awe and with the unbearable pain, just to be with it all. I've been growing into that wonderful catchphrase, be here now for the last 40 years. Anthony DeMello said, people who want a cure, provided they can have it without pain, are like those who favor progress, provided they can have it without change. (laughs) Pema Chodron says, when we protect ourselves so we won't feel pain, that protection becomes like armor, 
like armor that imprisons the softness of the heart. Mark Nepo says, There is a great choice that awaits us every day, whether we go around carving holes in others because we have been so painfully carved ourselves, or whether we let spirit play its song through our tender experience and enabling us to listen as well to the miraculous music coming through others. Sharon Salzberg says, quite simply, we can't avoid pain, but we can transform our response to it. One of my favorite quotes from Maladome Patrice Somme, a person in pain is being spoken to by a part of himself that knows only how to communicate that way. John O'Donoghue said, It often takes a huge crisis or trauma to crack the dead shell that has grown ever more solid around us. Painful as it can be, it does resurrect the longing of the neglected soul. It makes a clearance. Again, we see the horizons and feel their interaction. We, we may wince with vulnerability as we taste the exhilaration of freedom. We feel alive. Mirabai Star said, Mystics seem to have no shame about contradicting themselves left and right. They blithely proclaim that the cure for pain is pain itself and that the cry of longing is the sigh of merging. That's because the path of the mystic reconciles contradictory propositions such as harrowing sorrow and radical amazement and blesses us with an extended capacity to sit with ambiguity, to treasure vulnerability, and to celebrate paradox as the highest truth. Youngly Minber Rinpoche says, No matter how long you practice or what method you use, every technique of Buddhist meditation ultimately generates compassion. When you recognize your suffering, you spontaneously see that is the same within others. When you want to be happy, you don't want to suffer, and you see that it is the same with others. You see everybody is like a big family sharing one feeling. You see that this suffering is also in others, so you don't feel bad about yourself. Your mind becomes big. You are not here alone, you realize, so that gives you courage. Veronica Tolugova says, Emotional pain cannot kill you, but running from it can. Allow, embrace, let yourself feel, let yourself heal. Race Momenikin says, paradoxically, the only way to ease your pain is to accept it, work with it, and use it as fuel for growth. Only by leaning into your pain can you move through of it, through it and out of it. Francis Harold Cook said, The object of Zen is not to kill all feelings and become anesthetized to pain and fear. The object of Zen is to free us to scream loudly and fully when it is time to scream. And finally, the poet Ian Thomas says, Be soft. Do not let the world make you hard. Do not let the pain make you hate. Do not let the bitterness steal your sweetness. Take pride that even though the rest of the world may disagree, you still find it to be a beautiful place.